We have a uh, yeah, neat chapel plan. This is kind of the culmination, really, of what we've done this semester in chapel. We've had a number uh, related to what is the gospel and then what is, what is the gospel not. And, uh, and so just quickly, for those of you who don't know, uh, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Dave, uh, each of them have been at the Bible College for quite a while. Dave started here in 1989, so this is his 30th year of service in our Bible College. And then Jer in 1999, 20 years. Uh, he, he's been teaching here. Both of them, then 50 years of, of service at the Bible. Yeah, good whistling, thanks. <laughs> that, that's probably the first time they've heard that in a while, anybody whistling at them. But, uh, oh no, come on, that's a... Uh, <clears throat> All right, should we close in prayer then? Yeah. Jer just received uh, this last year uh, his doctorate. He did his doctoral work uh, over in, in Liberty, Liberty University. So he has a doctoral degree in music uh, with an emphasis in uh, worship studies. Uh, Pastor Dave did uh, both of his graduate level degrees uh, at Western. One was an MDiv in pastoral studies and then a THM in historical theology. So that gives you a little bit of background for those of you who don't know. Um, and and. What I wanted to do is just kind of start, and we'll work through these questions, and then, Lord willing, if we have time, I'd love to open it up, too, for Q&A. So think about questions that you may have with respect to the gospel, since that is, uh, that's what we've been talking about this semester. But the first question, if, if you don't mind, Dave, I, I'd like to ask you first, just in your own words, would you summarize, what is the gospel? Somebody comes to you, says, Dave, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? How would you explain that? How would you articulate that? Well, actually, I was going to say it's the good news about Jesus Christ. Um, we often truncate it down to God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, you're a sinner, Christ died for you, and you, you must receive Christ. But the gospel really is the good news that, that God has reached out to sinful mankind um, and has the answers for his or her life. Uh, I, I think in a nutshell, that's what it is, and it's much, much broader, and we can shrink it down to those four points if we want to. But it really is the good news, God knows who we are, knows our state, sent his son to take her place so we can have a forever home with him. Jer, so. how would you put it in your own words? Uh, I'm a rebel, I deserve death, and God has graciously <laughs> provided um, to address his righteousness and his holiness through the work of his son. Brothers, we, we've talked about this a little bit this semester, but could you, and Pastor Dave, I'll come back to you if you don't mind. Uh, why would you say this message, the gospel message, is important? And, and, and to give you kind of a, where this question comes from, in 1 Corinthians 15, we had somebody come and preach this here this semester, but 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul says something, he uses a phrase uh, that's, I think, important for our understanding of, of the gospel. He says, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel that I proclaim to you. You received it and you've taken your stand on it and you are also saved by it if you hold to the message that I proclaim to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of most importance what I also received. And so Paul calls the gospel, this message that he's about to delineate here, he calls it as a, of most importance. And so, Dave, question, why is it so important that we know the gospel, that we understand the gospel? Well, it, 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 being Bible believers, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I think we'd all, all agree that um, there is no other hope. Jesus made it very clear that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man goes unto the Father except through him. And so if we don't have a clear gospel, people don't have a clear path to how to get to the Father. And so to keep that, that utmost importance, when you, even if you distill it down to that basic thing, Christ died for sin according to Scripture, what, what is that all about? You have to flesh that out for people. Uh, and, and apart from that, there, there is no other way. I know the world says there's a lot of ways. Um, but from a biblical standpoint, that is the way. Um, and if we take any of those aspects out, uh, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we don't have anything that's different than anybody else. So there's really nothing else to offer. And so why bother with missions? I mean, it's kind of pointless. Why bother with the school, frankly, for that matter? I mean, it may make, make you feel good um, to attend and do something, but really, why, why are we here if that is not true? Because I think that's really at the heart of it. So I, I don't think that... Jer, same question to you. Thinking about that phrase that Paul says, this is of first importance. Uh, why, why is the message so important? You were, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is Ephesians 2 following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a hopeless existence. That's a hopeless reality. And if that is the true since that is true, we have no hope. But then the two, I, I, I think are the two greatest words in Scripture, ver, opening of verse 4, but God. Right? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, right? Not mostly dead, not partially dead, but even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Yeah, I think the other part, too, is in light of what Jared just shared, is that there are a lot of counterfeit gospels out there today. And with it, to have a sure word that tells us what, what is the gospel and what it's based on, what it's centered on, and, and, and again, I, I want to be careful when I say this. Um, you, you know, if you don't believe in creationism, um, creationism doesn't save you. Now, I think it's, it's the issue of a consistent hermeneutic, but it doesn't save you. Your eschatology doesn't save you. Again, it's an issue of consistent hermeneutic or you know, those aspects. But the only thing that saves you is Christ, Christ alone, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's a demonstration of that. And so there are things you can believe or not believe and still be saved. Um, and, and that's really the key cornerstone. I think that's really what Paul's getting at, because we are dead. I mean, every, th- those th- first three verses tell you just how dire mankind's situation is. And so, but, but God, and he shows his great mercy and grace. And so the, at the very nub of all of it is, if, if you don't believe in Christ, you don't believe in his resurrection, it doesn't matter if the rest of your doctrine, it's, you might be inconsistent, 
But it doesn't matter, because if you don't embrace him, you, you have no savior. Um, and so I, I'm not trying to denigrate doctrine or correct doctrine. I'm just simply saying those things aren't what save. They flesh out what we believe about the one we believe in. But really at the core, is, as, as the uh, Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not believe in six days or progressive creation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There, there's the cutting edge part of it. Similar question. I said, what it, what, what is the, why is the message of the gospel so important? Uh, this could, could go to either of you. Why is our ability to articulate the gospel, why is our ability to explain the gospel, to proclaim it, why is that important? And I think, I think, Danny, the first thing is the, the importance of we need to understand the reality of the gospel. And if we don't have an understanding of the reality of the gospel, we will not be able to clearly proclaim it. And, and so here I'm going to tag on a, a thought process from earlier, a um, couple decades ago, of the, you know, just come to Jesus, everything will be better. I was like, well... Actually, no, 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 you can expect hardship. James 1 tells us that trials is a reality. Trials will be a reality in your life if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we embrace that. And so to say that it's just going to be better, we're, we're missing the point of what the gospel is addressing. The gospel is addressing my need to be in right relationship with the creator of the universe. And he has made that possible. It's not by my goodness, it's by his grace. It's through the work of his son. But if I don't understand that I need the gift, the gift makes no sense. And that's the struggle. I think that's the rub in our present culture, is the culture, by and large, views itself as good. So, Yeah, I I would concur with that. I think the other part, too, when you think of going out in the battle, and often... uh, ages past, they used flags, um, I- instruments, typically a, a horn or bugle of some kind, whether to charge or to retreat, whatever else it might be. And if you don't, you don't sound the right signal, um, your troops don't know what they're supposed to do. Are we supposed to go ahead? Are we supposed to retreat? Are we supposed to wait, stand down? Why, you know, what is it? And I think that's the aspect of the gospel. If we're going to go to somebody, what is it that they need to know? The very very basics to get them started, and if we're unclear in our message, then they can take whatever they hear and add to it. Is syn- uh, having a hard time saying the word syncretism, you know, bringing bringing two ideas together and, and muddy up the gospel. And so it'd be real easy to say, well, yeah, right, yeah, Jesus is part of it, but you also need to be circumcised, or Jesus is part of it, but you need to keep the feast, or you know, fill in the blank and whatever else it might be. And that's often what happens in other cultures. Uh, if we don't understand the culture and the language, we try to communicate the gospel, we say one thing and the person hears something else. Uh, think, maybe think of it this way. 
international students come on a Sunday morning to your church or here, here to Grace, and uh, we're having communion, and we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Of, or we talk about uh, plunging, you know, um, what is that? There's a fount. Yeah. Okay. And, and somebody from uh, Uzbekistan or, or Japan, who's, it's like, you wash yourself in the blood of the lamb? What, what is that? Because there's no, there's no cultural connection. It hasn't been explained to them. And so you go in and try to tell a story from the Bible, and your language skills are such that you, you think you're saying this, and you're saying something totally different. So whether it's cross-cultural or even in our own culture, in our day and age, we talk about the gospel, we talk about Christianity. Don't assume that they have the same understanding or definition of what that term is. And so I think just to have a very clear gospel, what, what is it? Um, you know, we touched on that a little bit with the social gospel and all the things that are out there. There's so many things saying that the gospel, but what really is it? And so to have, have a very precise uh, understanding of, of, of that term so folks can understand it. Uh, may, have, may have to illustrate it you know, in their understanding, but it's still here, here are the bare bones of it. So. Paul in Galatians says, this is a passage also that we looked at earlier on in the semester, but he says to the churches that he planted in this letter that he's amazed at so how quickly they turn away from the gospel. Do you guys know what passage I'm talking about there in chapter 1? And he says, uh, but, but even if we or an angel, that's, that's pretty, you know, if an an, that would be impressive, wouldn't it? If an angel showed up and preached to you. And Paul says, if, if that were to happen, let a curse be on him. You know, if anybody changes, if anybody messes with the gospel, uh, this seemed to be a big deal in the, in the inspired writing of, of the Apostle Paul. And so, yeah, maybe either of you, to either of you, why is it that the gospel must be protected? We've talked, what is it? Why is it important? Why must we now, just as they had to in Paul's day, protect the gospel? I remember something uh, Jim Andrews said years ago, um, in, in a uh, chapel message, he said the doctrine of eternal security is uh, misrepresented by its enemies and it's misunderstood by its friends. And I think that, that holds true too. A lot of times we mean well, but we miscommunicate about the gospel ourselves. But there are a lot of folks out there who want to add to the gospel. I mean, you, you have a presidential candidate um, saying that he's a better Christian than most, most Republicans are. Uh, because of his view on, obviously, gay marriage or whatever it might be. And it's like, what, what's that got to do with the gospel? And, and Frank, what, what does that have to do with Christianity? You know, my Christianity is better than your Christianity because I do more things. I, I'm, I'm more inclusive. Uh, and so there's so many ways. Uh, and I think even in evangelical circles we fall into that, that Christianity or salvation or evangelism plus this— you have to be involved in this and do this and do this and do this. So we, we just changed the list from Paul's time where the, the Judaizers were adding the Mosaic Law, circumcision. We're adding good works. We're, we're adding you have to be involved in your community. You've got to be part of uh, the United Way. You need to give to this cause, that cause, this cause. Be involved. Go down to the food bank, which, which are good things. Don't, don't get me wrong. But if you don't do that, it's really not. You, you, you demonstrate that you're really not a follower of Christ. And it's like, wait a second. 
a follower of Christ is a follower of Christ, and that may work its way out. But we begin to add, and I think that we do that in the church inadvertently. You know, whether it's our services, it's, it's how we do our services, it's our buildings, you fill in the blank. We start saying, this is, this is Christianity, and it's, it's really not. It, it's, it's how we display it in our worship, or, but it, it's not. So, so I think there's a variety of ways why when we're talking about the gospel, th- this is gospel, but then how does it, how's it lived out? And we, we make those the same thing. I'm not saying there's a total disconnect. I'm just saying one is one, and it leads to the other. That, that makes sense. So. And just piggybacking off that, I think we, we live, obviously there are multiple religions, multiple perspectives in the world, and uh, at least here in our culture, the, the champion of the day is all are equal, right? All are the same whether it's a worldview, whether it's a religion, whether it's a thought process, all are valid. And what's intriguing is that at the end of the day, why the gospel has to be protected is, um, and it's just interesting, um, that going and doing pastoral training in Russia and in Turkey, there is no misunderstanding on this of where they grasp the concept of this they realize the gospel boils down to what do you do with Jesus? Jesus is the great divider. And so what have you done with Christ? Is he as the full son of God and yet fully man who died on the cross and rose again, is he sufficient to pay for my sin to make me right with God? Or is he not? And they don't wrestle. What's intriguing to me is I I present this and, and... there, there's no pushback on it. But in our culture, the thought process of Christ being the thing that would make me right with God, why in the world would I need that? And so this is why we seek to protect it, is because it matters. It's, it's so, so easily misunderstood, that, those aspects. One of the passages that comes to mind when thinking about that question, why must it be protected, If anybody ever asks you that or challenges you on that, you can say, because it is the power of God unto salvation, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And so it has to be protected. It has to be preserved, loved, you know, and we have to be able to proclaim it clearly. Another thing, uh, Dave, coming off this, I wonder, Dave, if you could just speak for a moment (laughs) uh, to the slogan, I... I, I, I preach the gospel every day, and sometimes I use words. Could you just maybe, I asked Dave, because I'm curious as to what Dave will say to that, but I realize there are contexts in which that is said, but just generally, you know, I preach the gospel every day, sometimes I use words. Could you just comment on that? Oh, boy. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. I'm trying to figure out how to say it politely. Okay. Okay. Um, for the mo- I, I guess it would depend on the person who's saying it to me. I think some people are really sincere, so I want to be careful when I say this. But by and large, I think that's rubbish. It's, it's Scabalon. Think Philippians 3. Um, I mean, I, I, I get, get the idea behind it, okay? But at the, en- but at the end of the day, you, you, there are atheists who live better lives than many Christians do. 
I'm, I, I hope you do understand that. Not that I like it. I'm just, do you, do you do understand that? And there are Muslims who are more faithful than many Christians are. So people can look at your life and say, I want to be like that. That's not going to get them to heaven. They have to hear about Jesus. And so, yeah, sometimes all you can do is, is, is live your life. But if they don't hear it, how do they know that what animates you, what, what infuses you, what has changed your life is Jesus Christ? I mean, it's like having an airplane with one wing, right? I'm not saying preach and don't live, and I'm not saying live, but I'm definitely saying don't live and not preach. You've got to have both. You tell them who you are and let them, let them see it witnessed in, in your daily life. And so I think that's just the easy pablum, uh, again, a lot of the social gospel influence and so many. Uh, it's just, well, you know, use words if you have to. And it's like, how will they hear unless one be sent, right? How will they hear unless somebody preaches the word, Romans 10? It's like, you got to preach it uh, and then live it. Give the evidence for it as well. So, yeah, I'm... I'm uh, I could go on for a couple hours, but I'll, I'll stop. Uh, another question. Oh, yeah, Jerry, please. jump in on that? Yeah, Jen, thank you. Jennifer <laughs> comment. Uh, words matter. Uh, you know, just my undergrad degree is from MSU in English, and words have meanings, right? You put words together, you form phrases, you make sentences, you communicate through words. And I understand. I'm big on nonverbal communication. I understand that. All right? That's, that's part of who I am. But words are a means of primary communication. And God chose to communicate through words. So, I'm going to seek to utilize words in my communication as well. And yes, at the same time, I want to live out the reality of those words. But the two have to walk hand in hand. And there's generally a point of tension or abrasion in the middle, which tells me it's about right. If any of you have ever built anything, or you're at home and your mom or your dad are showing you how to do something, there's verbal instruction and then a lot of times, some, some of us are more tactile, so they take your hand and show you, show you how, to, how to plane or how to sand something or, or how to mop a floor. I mean, they can tell you, and you can say, oh, yeah, I think I got that. I found out real, real quickly from my mom, um, thanks for trying, but and showed me how to really mop a floor. And there, there's a right way and a wrong way, by the way. Okay. So hearing and seeing, I, but if you only get a chance... Share. Let, let them hear it. Okay, Because as Jeremy said, words matter. Two words, written word and the incarnate word. God's, God's spoken both. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Thanks, Steve. Another question uh, related, kind of, you men have been in ministry for many decades now. You've seen changes in the culture. It's true. Now, 89, you were here at... <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. But, um, but as as time has progressed here, and as generations have come, now looking at our culture in the United States, what would you say are the main contemporary challenges to the gospel? Uh, 
I'll jump in on it. All right. So I, I think one of the most pressing challenges against the gospel is the belief that all views are equal. I, I honestly believe that that is a reality. We live in a culture in which everybody gets a trophy, everybody's a winner, all views are equal, all views are relevant. And it's like, well, no, no, I can, I can believe that gravity has no effect on me and I can step off the ledge of the Empire State Building. That belief will have a consequence. All right? I need a parachute on my back if I'm going to step off the ledge of the Empire State Building. So to say that all beliefs are equal, no. No, that, that's not true. That's not real. We can pretend, right? We can pretend things are real. But in doing so, those, there are going to be consequences that work themselves out. Um, like all, all perspectives are the same. You know, tolerance is the champion of the day. We're tolerant of everything except for something we deem to be intolerant of us. Um, and so that it's, again, it's a contemporary challenge to the gospel. Um, I think part of a challenge to the gospel is the fact that um, we live in a YouTube culture. And so you just asked us, you know, about, uh, you know, why do we, why is it important that we protect the gospel? Why is it important that we use words? Well, words are clear communication, but we do live in a video culture. And so that's a challenge with the gospel. So there's got to be a both and scenario as part of this. Yeah. No, I, I would concur with that too. And I, I don't think there's anything new under the sun, just to borrow from Ecclesiastes, what I think we see a greater manifestation, or uh, I mean, sin is sin, but we see it magnified on steroids and different things. Um, you know, pornography's always existed, and just Pompeii, you know, okay. So it's just it's always been there. But I think in the, because of the electronic age, it's it's that much greater. I'm just using it as an illustration to get get to my point. Is that I think what Jared just said with all, all views are equal, uh, even if you listen to the local talk show, which whether you should or not, that's another story. Um, all views welcome here, and they, they really do try to balance. You can write in, you can text in and say they're idiots, and they, they'll read it, you know, because all, all views are, are here. And so I think that's always existed to one degree, but not like it has. Um, I think the other part is we live in a sound soundbite moment. Um, and I know you guys already get ragged on probably by your parents and whomsoever else with all the electronic media. And even as my brother here forgot to turn off his phone, and those of you who've had me for class know what the rule is, but since he's not in class, I, I didn't make him let me answer the phone. Uh, but we're, we're so wedded to those things. Um, and with it, you see things in an instant. And so you're, you can be 100 miles wide and, and a quarter inch deep. Because you're not getting getting all the facts, you're not, not getting all the data, and it takes time. And we we want to be getting about our business. We want to be involved. Get get this going. Uh, think think of your movies, uh, computer generated action. Uh, my wife and I uh, a few days ago watched an old film. I say <laughs> old is probably from the 90s, but it was ponderous. And and we, we were talking about. She said. This thing just seems to be going on and on. It's because they're laying, they're laying out the storyline to get to the ending. And now, now we want things. And so to be able to explain the gospel, 
and you have you have to kind of lay it out. It, it might it may be Acts sixteen thirty one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It might be laying out. Do you realize God is Creator? Therefore, you're His creation. You rebelled. Here's the payment for you. Here's what God has done. That's going to take a while. And people say, "Dude, can can you give it to me in thirty seconds or less?" Because we want to move on to the next thing. Um, and yet, the old adage, Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, it, it may look like Picasso just threw a bunch of paint, paint on a canvas and walked away. It took him some time. And, and we, we just want to be in a hurry, in a hurry, in a hurry. Move on to the next experience, the next situation. And sometimes you have to sit around the table, drink a little coffee or cocoa or whatever, and, and, and talk things through and that doesn't seem to fit our scenario these days either. I think that's the other thing. We're in a hurry. Just give me this and let me move on. And I think that goes, goes, goes coincides with that. Anything else, sir, Jared, to add? I, I like my phone. I, I really like my phone. <laughs> Just for the record, I hate mine. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, the movie they were watching was John Wayne. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. No, no. All right. So. Executive action. Okay. Steven Seagal and oh, Kurt, Kurt Russell. Weird. Okay. Um, we, we are the most connected generation in the history of mankind in terms of access to things because of these phones because of computers, right? We are the most connected along those lines. But I would argue to you that we are the least relationally connected generation in the history of mankind. And I don't have anything that I could specifically give you. I can't give you, um, you know, a thesis based off of that, off of scientific research. I'm just observing, and I, I do. I, I, I observe a lot of things. And, and again, I believe nonverbal communication is huge. But I believe we are a disconnected generation. And so we have to figure out ways to engage with people. And part of it is going to be, let's go do something, living out life. But then the other part of it is we have to be able to use words. So we have to do both. I would completely concur with that. And who, who are part of the a couple of folks I was talking to in the office just a moment ago? Uh, where's Mr. Thomas? I did, right here. He's standing there, and I was attempting to tease him because there's two, two of the lovely sisters there. And I said, hey, it looks like you're going to have to get on your phone to talk to them because they're on their phone. <laughs> okay. It, we, we hear those jokes but I'm in coffee shops fairly frequently meeting with people, and I, I see it almost all the time. They're sitting there, and they're talking, but they're spending a lot of the, doing this. It's like so connected and so disconnected. I think that I, I mean, I'm not speaking for all of you because I haven't had supper at your homes, but to have a family sit around the table and eat and talk, in many cases, that, that's a rarity. And even if you are, Phones, it's like, dude, you got to get rid of those things. Put them in the freezer or something, you know. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? And it's like we're sitting down to break bread together. So just put it away. 
And, and we don't. And that's, that's in the church even. Okay, because I know some of you say, well, it's easier to carry, I have my Bible on my phone. I said, yeah, you're surfing the net, you're playing Angry Birds, and you're checking your NFL scores on Sunday. And I only say that because I look behind people and I see that's what they're doing. So I'm just, just saying, the temptation's there. We get upset. Say, so I texted my wife, I want to know, I'm gonna, I got to stop at hospital to get gas for my car. Does she need anything? And then, Why don't you answer the phone? I'm thinking, 10 years ago, that wouldn't even been an issue. And I'm thinking, you're nuts. Not, not you guys, me. I'm saying that to myself. You're nuts. If you didn't have the phone, what would you do? You'd just get in your car and drive home. And then you wife say, oh, honey, I wish I could have got a hold of you. See, it, it becomes your little God. And that's why I say, I, I hate mine. I only have a phone because they make me have one. I would be like Gibbs. I would have a flip phone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If I had to have one. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Right. Um, I'm sorry, another soapbox. I've got another uh, another question, and then I want to ask if anybody has some, so be thinking here in a minute. But when I lived outside of the United States, <clears throat> we were gone, or I was gone for about five years, just over five years. And when I came back, I felt a little bit like an outsider. For those of you who have been abroad for a while, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of are aware suddenly of your own culture and uh, and the way that we think and the way that we live as Americans. And so, yeah, men, uh, my last question really, in what ways does our culture, the things that we've already talked about, the issues related to relationships, distance in relationships, issues related to maybe entitlement culture, issues related to um, uh, what you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, a, uh, uh, the relativism in, in our culture and the 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 attempt to make everything equal. Uh, how do those things impact our understanding of the gospel? How do those impact us? It's difficult to know that, to realize that, unless you're outside of the culture for a while. But how, how, yeah, what are some ways that you men have seen that the culture, American culture, impacts the way that we understand or explain the gospel? I think our culture muddies our perspective of the gospel. And I think because we live in a culture that champions all views as equal, because we live in a culture that champions tolerance of all things, if we say that we believe the gospel to be God's righteousness needing to be satisfied, addressing my sin, my rebellion against him through, right? That, that's, that's satisfied through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is stinking exclusive. All right? And, and so that flies in the face of our culture. And so it comes back, Danny, of, of just that yeah, what, what, what do you do with Christ? And, and what's intriguing to me is our culture wrestles with this and they struggle with this as a thought process. It's too exclusive. And yet in the Russian culture in which where I, where I was at, they're, they're in Skov and Beslan and then in Ethiopia, that's not a wrestle. They understand, they understand the weight of the gospel and they understand what it is that we're seeking to communicate. And I'm not sure why we, uh, outside of living in our culture, I, I think that that's where we, we feel that we need to make it more appealing 
somehow we need to make this more appealing to people. Um, and if we're going to make it appealing to people, I, I just don't see how an unregenerate heart is going to find something appealing that is exclusive, right? And and so um, I, I, I think that that's a huge countercultural thing for us. And so I think we're influenced by our culture in that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, I've said this before in other places that when we worry about contextualization and missions overseas, you know, the whole, are you C1, C2, all the way up to C6? In other words, you can be a, uh, a Christian Muslim, you know, do all the pra- Muslim practices, still be a believer, which frankly I don't believe, but okay, we can argue about that another day. I think we don't realize how we've let the church, the church has let society contextualize. We, we buy into our society and say, this is how we have to do church. This is how we have to do theology. Here's how we have to share the gospel. We're letting them dictate to us what the message is. And so if you're part of any kind of ministerial association or uh, faith-based groups out here, well, this is how we do ministry. And this is, you know, Christians should love one another. And we're all Christians. We're all brothers in Christ. And we're all sisters in Christ, whatever it might be. And we let that influence us, how we do our services, the music, whether we have coffee bars, whether we have coffee. You can, you can come into the auditorium with coffee or not, and you say, hey, we really would rather you didn't. Oh, you guys are being so legalistic. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we have some folks here who they're 70, 80, 90 years old, right? Um, they still come from a generation that says you don't take your coffee and pie into the living room. You, the carpet, you take care of your building, you take care of your belongings. And so out of respect for them, maybe we don't want to treat our sanctuary like a coffee shop. Not because I, I'm worried about stains as much as I'm, I'm, why would I want to offend an older brother or sister? Is that tracking with me on that? And so all across the board, educationally, you know, we're jumping through all kinds of hoops because there's this accreditation thing, whatever else. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on toes maybe. This is how we have to do it. And I realize there has to be standards. Don't, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, society tells us this. Terabian changes. Somebody better have a talk with her. Every couple of years she keeps changing. It's like, why, why are you changing? Why, why do you think? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I saw that as an amen, brother. Okay. So this used to be single-spaced. Now it's double-spaced. Who died made you Pope? Right? Last time I checked, Frankie the Hippie, he's, he's the Pope, right? That's Lutheran satire for those of you who ever watched that station. And, and it, that's what we see. And it's so incipient. We're talking with family, friends, coworkers, see it on TV, listen to it on the radio. You know, all those things just seep in. And so we, we have to drown out the noise a little bit say, okay, what really is essential here to, to who we are? Because if we bring all of this, the, the old adage is if everything's missions, ain't nothing missions. If everything is Christianity, then nothing's Christianity. We have to get back to that focus. And I think we've allowed our culture to tell us what the gospel ought to be. It's inclusive. Everybody gets to participate. You get your one at bat and two innings in the field, 
Okay, we all get a trophy. We're all winners. And it's like, dude, seriously, there are winners and losers. You know who the winners are? Those who, by the grace of God, save through Jesus Christ. And those who reject him, they've lost. Not because they're losers, in the true sense, but because they're doomed, depraved, disobedient, Ephesians 2. And they need Jesus. And they're not accepted because they just tried. They're accepted in Christ because they couldn't save themselves. And that is, as Jeremy said, that is offensive gospel to people. It, it, to them, it seems exclusive. Well, nobody complains. Fish need water. We need air. Deal, deal with it. There's a lot of exclusive things we live with. But the reality is he's the Savior of the world, even though not all the world will be saved. But he is for all men and women everywhere. And so I, that's what I see every day is just the constant barrage of this, this is truth. This is Christianity. This is, it's like, it doesn't match the book. It doesn't match what the book says. And that's a hard battle to fight. More so even in the church today as opposed to out there. And uh, so, yeah, sorry. What I'd like to do just in closing, Austin, would it be all right if we, if we played that? We didn't have any music uh, at the beginning of chapel, but I thought maybe today we'd end with this. It's a song that I know all of you know, and there are a few images particularly that we can sing along with this too, but there are a few images in particular that I want uh, to be, for all, us, all of us to be able to see and visualize. So let's watch this, and then at the end, uh, Pastor Jeremy, I might ask you to pray if that's okay.
was alone and left so long I had seen the strength to follow your commands could never come from me oh father use my ransom life Thank you for the reality of the gospel. Uh, Lord, your word, your word states, uh, you know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Um, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit your kingdom, Father. And, then, uh, and such were some of you, as all of us. And yet, by your mercy and grace, Father, you have washed us you have sanctified us. You continue to sanctify us. You've justified us in the name of your Son. Uh, Father, I thank you even for uh, your faithfulness demonstrated even through uh, this song. And, you know, it is, uh, was played out there on the screen, Lord. Uh, there are brothers and sisters who would die for the reality of the gospel. 
And Lord, we live in a culture in which we're tempted to water it down. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness through uh, Jordan in terms of writing this song. Uh, Lord, thank you that he never did the outward big rebellion. And yet even as your spirit worked in him and convicted him of sin, of where he saw the reality of him running a hellbound race. That's true of all of us, Lord. We are by nature children of wrath. We are hopeless. And yet, because of the cross, because of the work of your son, there is tremendous hope. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for voices to proclaim it as truth. We thank you for bodies and lives to live it out as reality. And may it be true of us that both are part of who we are, both spoken and acted. Lord, thank you for your goodness demonstrated to us. We pray this in Christ's precious, holy, and exalted name. Lord, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that your Son is Lord. So help us to declare that faithfully. In his name, amen.